Good morning, Crosspoint family. It's good to see everyone today. If this is your first time here with Crosspoint, we just want to say welcome. It takes a lot of courage to check out a church, to come and see what this family of Christ is all about. So thank you for being here if this is your first time. If you've been here since the beginning of Crosspoint, we also want to say welcome. It takes a lot of courage to keep coming to a church, to keep putting value in participating. And if you're here and you're somewhere in between those two, you're welcome as well. So if you're here in person, if you're gathering with us online, thank you so much for being here today. My name is Rusty Mackey. I am the director of men's ministry here at Cross Point. And just a uh, moment for a shameless plug. Are you all okay with me doing a shameless plug here? Yes? No? I guess I have the mic, so I get to decide what we do. So I have a men's study on Thursday nights from 7 p.m. to 8.15 p.m. with a group of great guys, and we learn what it means to be a man by digging into God's Word. So if you're a man and you're looking for community, you're looking for friendship, you're looking to grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you to come out. Okay. Shameless plug over. So that's what I do part-time with Crosspoint. What I do with the rest of my time is I have a ministry where I help leaders survive in the church. I help leaders survive and thrive in ministry. And one of the joys that I have is I get to travel to churches, and specifically the fall is a period where I do that uh, even more. And something that I've noticed, a pattern that I've noticed on returning home here recently this fall is I come home and my children, they're 10, 6, and 3, my children, they, they tackle me basically at the door, which is lovely and wonderful, and they have an offering of artwork that they've made for me. They, they just dump piles of paper in my hands. And if you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, I don't know if, if those kids are like mine, but I often get a question when I'm giving art by my children. And that is, which one is the best? <laughs> or my favorite, dad, which one is your favorite? Now, I just want to report to all of you, I am a good dad. I look at all of them and I say, oh, kids, I love them all. (laughs) Thank you. You know, whether if it's like the more masterful piece of art or if it's like the three-year-old scribbles, like, I love them all and thank you for thinking of me. Now, imagine with me what you would think about me if I told you when my kids handed me that art and I pulled them out, and I said, well, this one's good, but the line work on this one, ooh, and look at the shading, ooh, and the color choices, this one's my favorite. (laughs) What would you think about me? And then imagine that the unfavored child runs off to their room crying because daddy doesn't like their piece of art, and then I come up to them in their room, and I say, why are you sad? What? Why are you so upset? You asked me which one was my favorite. I'm just telling you the truth. What would you think of me? <laughs> you would probably be disgusted a little bit with me. You might even be a bit outraged, like, come on, man, just tell the kids that you love all the artwork. 
The reason that I bring that up and tell that little fictitious story, I almost like pretended that it was a real story to evoke like true disgust and outrage out of all of you, but I was so uncomfortable with the idea of being on the receiving end of that that I made it a hypothetical story. The reason I tell you that hypothetical story is because when we approach Genesis chapter 4, we often can consciously or subconsciously think that way about God. We can perceive this story as if Cain and Abel, they're just bringing their dad an offering, showing their love. And then we can wonder like, what's up with God's response? (laughs) Abel's offering, I accept. Cain's, I don't. I just want to say this story is not about that. And we're going to get into today what the story is about. But at the beginning, we see that it starts with and it ends with, the story is bookended in Genesis chapter 4 with worship. So today we're going to talk about what is true and acceptable worship. And let me impress upon you how important this is. Because friends, you and I, we worship all the time. We are either worshiping God or we're worshiping something else. We're either loving God or we're loving something else. We're either looking to God or we're looking to something else to save us and to satisfy us. And what Genesis chapter 4 teaches us today is that true and acceptable worship is a matter of life and death. This is so serious. So, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. If you're able, if you're willing, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first two verses. Um, Forgive me, this is like a ton of verses, and I'm going to try to cover them all, and hopefully we're not here for three hours. Amen? Amen. So, pray that I can, uh, my words can be few. I think that's somewhere in the scriptures. All right. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Cross point, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we do pray. I pray that my words would be few this morning in a way that's helpful, where we can see what you have for us today. In this text where we look at the first murder, we just recognize, God, that there are murders and wars going on all over over our world. We think specifically of the atrocities happening in Israel. We could list hundreds of others happening around our world. And all we can do is pray, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we're sad over the death, the unnecessary violence. Lord, we are angry over the injustice. Come Lord Jesus and make it all right. God, we also don't have to look out there, but we can look in here, not just in this building, but in our own hearts to see areas where we are hostile towards others. We are not loving, but we are hate-filled towards others. We are angry towards others. 
Come, Lord Jesus, and have mercy on us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you today. We pray that you would help us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Hi, friends. First, we're going to look at what is acceptable worship here in verses 1 to 7. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, we're going to see a lot of first, but not the last. So we just read a few moments ago, the very first human ever born, but certainly not the last. Thank God. Are we tracking? Everybody awake? All right, good. So we see the first, but not the last. In verses three and four, we're going to see the first offering made to God, but certainly not the last. Now we can give Cain a lot of grief and Cain definitely is not, it's not his finest hour in this passage. But did you notice, you will notice in a second, Cain is the first person to make a sacrifice to God. Maybe God asked him to, or maybe it was his idea. Wouldn't that be wild? (laughs) So he starts with a good thing. Look at verse three and four with me. Um, I would encourage you, the scripture's not going to be on the screen. Have a Bible, have it on your phone. We're going to be in the text a lot, and there's a lot of it. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Good job, bud. Well done. Verse 4, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Immediate question, why? Why does God have regard for one and not for the other? I think there are some clues here in the text. The first would be in verse 3. We see that Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Some translations say an offering of some of the fruit of the ground. So there's kind of like a general, like, here's some fruit, God. Um, Some people make a big deal out about, like, one has blood, one doesn't. That's pronounced later in Leviticus, but also in Leviticus, people would bring food offerings and fruit offerings. So that's not what's going on here. I think it's more of that there's this like general, here's some of my fruit, God. But then in verse four, we see that Abel brings not just a sheep, but a firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So this is the good stuff. Later in Leviticus, God commands the priests that they can actually keep the fat portions for themselves. This is the good cut. This is the kind you want to barbecue. This is what you want to enjoy. And so it seems like the text is telling us that Cain brings some, Abel brings the best. Now, if we're to fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, I'd encourage you to turn there or you can listen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. We read this, by faith, pause, so faith is important here, spoiler, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Okay, so there's a big clue, scripture interpreting scripture, helping us know how to understand it. So Abel's offering has faith, Cain does not. What on earth does that mean? Let's read down a couple verses to verse six in Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's exactly what we're talking about here with Cain and Abel, right? He's pleased with one sacrifice. He's not pleased with the other. Tell us more, author of Hebrews. He goes on to say in verse 6, For whoever would draw near to God must believe. So faith, belief, there's two things here that you must believe in order to please God. The first, that God exists. 
Okay, so Cain, Chet, he's got that one. He's talking to God. He probably believes that God exists, right? They're having a conversation. And here's the second, and I think this is what's important for us. They must also believe that God rewards those who seek him. So we're making an assumption by using scripture to interpret scripture, but it would seem that Cain is falling into the same pitfall that his parents did. That they, because of the serpent, began to have these seeds of doubt of God's goodness and his character sown into them. And can I really trust God or do I need to reach out and take the fruit on my own? So Cain's doing a good thing. Here you go, God. Here's an offering. But it would seem from scriptures that he's doing and he's kind of holding back a little because he's not quite sure if God rewards those who seek him. Rabbi David Foreman has a really crazy book called The Beast That Crouches at the Door where he talks about Genesis chapters three and four, that's the entire book. And he calls them mirror passages, saying that in Genesis four, you get all these repeated themes from Genesis three that we talked about over the past two weeks. So there's all these Easter eggs in Genesis chapter four that's supposed to remind us of what happened with Adam and Eve. You can look for them. It's kind of a fun thought experiment. But this is what Rabbi David Foreman writes. He says, the bottom line is Abel brought the best he could, Cain didn't. Each brother is compared not to the other, but to himself. So we can pause right there. You know, that analogy of the parent who looks at the artwork and says, this is my favorite and this isn't. The problem with that is you're pitting the children against one another. They're comparing one another based off of the other's artwork. It seems like that's what Abel is doing. But what we're going to find in a moment in God's interaction with him is God is essentially saying, don't worry about Abel, you worry about you. Does that sound familiar? Jesus does that a little bit later, just a little bit later. In John chapter 20, when Peter's like, what about John? And Jesus is like, don't worry about John. Worry about you, man. (laughs) You follow me. So it seems like that's what's going on here. Okay, back to this quote. So what he did is compared to what he could have done. So that seems to be what's going on, why he accepts one and not the other. Let's look now about what happens Verse 5 again to verse 7. So how will Cain respond? But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry. The first time a human gets angry in history, but certainly not the last. And his face fell I love how this mention of emotions immediately brings in the experience of those emotions in our body. So the Hebrew word for angry is hot cheeks, right? Uh, Anybody, whenever you get mad, you get some blood rushing to your face, your head starts to feel hot, you know, maybe you get red in the face. We call angry people what? Hot heads. Thank you. So we even have this a bit in the English. So there's this idea of it like causes a chain reaction all the way up into his face. And then it says his face falls. So what's going on there? Well, often when we're sad, we can hang our heads. Some translations translate this crestfallen with that idea of sadness. But I think as well, there might be an Easter egg here going back to Genesis 3 of shame. Because what do we do when we feel shame? We break eye contact. And we what? Hang our heads 
in shame. And so here he is. He's angry. He's sad, maybe experiencing some shame. And you know, anger is that emotion in us that's saying, hey, something you value, something you want is being threatened. So something that Cain wants is being threatened. I think it's God's favor, right? But notice God's favor on his terms, not God's terms. How will God respond? What will God say? Look at verse six with me. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Just like Adam and Eve, he starts asking questions. Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? I don't know why they translate this well. The Hebrew word there is good. Does that ring any bells for anybody from Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, right? If you do good, that word's packed with meaning over the past couple verses. If you do good, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well or good, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It's to control you. It's to take mastery over you. But you must rule over it. Take dominion, Cain. Master it. So here in verse 7, there's several things going on. We could preach a whole sermon on verse 7. I'm going to try not to, though. So several things going on. The first thing that's happening here is that God is describing for him what acceptable worship looks like. So notice God tells him not, hey, man, you did a terrible job and there's no hope for you ever again. No, he says, hey, why are you angry? Why are you sad? If you do well, won't you be accepted? The Hebrew word there for accepted is literally, won't your face be lifted up? Your face has fallen. Won't I lift your face up if you do good? And this isn't like a do better, Cain. It's not that kind of like judging critique. It's like, no, bud, try again. Like, it didn't go as well for you the first time, but that's okay. Give it another shot. We still got this. We can figure this out. And isn't that grace? (laughs) Isn't it grace that we fall, stumble, fail, falter in oh, so many ways, and God's just like, ask for forgiveness. Repent, turn around, try again, fresh start, clean slate, let's go. So that's the first half of acceptable worship. It's do good, it's obey. (laughs) Try again. The second half is found in the second part of that verse, which is, hey, sin, your sinful desire, your parents had this snake outside of them. You have a beast inside of you that crouches ready to strike. It wants to control you. You master it. So acceptable worship is both doing good, obeying God, but it's also mastering our sinful desires, putting off evil. And this idea, it carries all the way to the New Testament. You know, we love grace here at Cross Point. Amen. We cannot live without grace. Amen. But obedience is important too. Jesus tells us in John 14, verse 15, Jesus, the grace guy, right? He says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. It's right there. So there's a putting on of what's good. There's a putting off of 
what's evil. There's another interesting going thing going on here. I've alluded to it a couple times, this idea of seeing and where you're looking. So when it says that God did not regard Cain's sacrifice, but he did regard, or some translations will say accepted, Abel's, in Hebrew, it literally says God saw Abel's sacrifice and he did not see Cain's. And then you've got this idea of Cain looking down and he's breaking eye contact. They're breaking, in a sense, metaphorically, they're breaking connection. And God says, if you do good, won't your offering be accepted? Won't your face be lifted up? So it seems like Cain is angry here because he's not being seen. Can anybody relate? (laughs) I mean, like, 85, this is my own stat that I'm coming up with right now, but like 85% of all counseling is like, I didn't feel seen as a child. I didn't feel known. I didn't feel understood. And the anger that that creates in us. So friends, I'm just curious, are you angry with God today because you feel like he doesn't see you? Are you just so angry with God because he doesn't see or it feels like he doesn't see you drowning in financial instability? Are you angry with God because it feels like he doesn't see that you're drowning in children? (laughs) Are you angry with God because it feels like he doesn't see that you're drowning in the pain of your singleness? Are you feeling angry with God because it feels like he doesn't see the conflicts that are all around you and you keep praying and asking him to move and to work and you're like, God, don't you see? Won't you act? Won't you help? Are you angry? Cain's angry. What will he do? Let's see. Second, let's look at unacceptable conflict in verses 8 to 16. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The first murder in human history, but certainly not the last. There's certainly hatred towards Abel here, right? There's something I want from God. You're getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm going to bring out my hostility on you and violence and kill you. Surely they had seen animals killed up to this point, but now he kills a person. But I would argue this hostility and anger goes beyond Abel, and its true mark is on God. Uh, I'm sure none of you have ever done this, but uh, do you know those other people, maybe in high school or college, you get the yearbook, and you draw on the faces of the people you don't like. You know, surely you've seen other people do that, right? Or maybe you've been driving down the interstate and there's a billboard and all of a sudden somebody's climbed up on that thing with spray paint and they put some devil horns and a pitchfork on the person. There was one several weeks in a row coming to church that I saw. (laughs) What is going on there? Why do we do that? There's this kind of innate impulse that if I can't attack the person, I'm going to attack their image. I'm going to deface their image as a way to communicate my hatred for the one who is in that image. And remember, friends, back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, 
Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, all of humanity were created in what? In God's image. So I think what's going on here is Cain is so angry at God that he says, I'm going to deface your image by killing my brother. Trimper Longman III, beyond having a great name, is a brilliant theologian and commentator. And he writes this, Cain kills Abel because he can't kill God. So, he kills the one that pleases God. And I'm going to try to be fast about this, but turn with me to James chapter 4, okay? James chapter 4. Really, this whole passage is fascinating. I didn't see this until this week, but there are so many themes in James chapter 4 that are possibly James might actually be drawing directly from Genesis chapter 4. There's so many that I can't think it's not on purpose, right? So James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, when we're mad, we'll say they do. (laughs) They're the problem. If they would just get their act together, then we would be okay. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this? that your passions or your desires, there's a, there's a theme from Genesis 3 and 4, your passions are at war within you. Almost like a beast that's crouching, right? Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Sound familiar? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I didn't mention this already, but Cain in Hebrew sounds a lot like the word obtain, to acquire, to get. And that's why Eve says, I have gotten a man. What an awkward way to say I had a baby, right? So I just wonder what James is up to here. He goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and what and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then look where James goes next. This is fascinating. Verse four, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So James is communicating to us, and I think we see this in the Genesis 4 passage, that your people problems always boil down to a worship problem. We have problems and conflicts and fights and quarrels with others. Why? Because something has gone wrong in our worship, in our relationship with God. And so that's exactly what we see happening here in Genesis. Cain kills his brother. Why? Because he has this problem with God. What on earth will God do? God is a God of justice. God is a God who stands up for and fights for the oppressed, how will he respond? Look at verse 10 with me. And the Lord said, what have you done? We've heard that before, right? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and surely his blood is crying out for justice. God, bring justice. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. It's almost as if the the ground absorbs Abel's blood and then takes Abel's side and says, I'm not going to produce fruit for you 
any more Cain. So there's these curses. God does bring judgment, but notice he doesn't bring the judgment that we would expect. We would expect eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. And yet God lets him live. This is radical. (laughs) This should cause you to go, whoa, wait a minute. And then what do we see next? Look in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Which is ironic because like his true punishment should be death, right? It's greater than I can bear, he says. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from your face shall I be hidden. There's that theme of seeing again, being connected, being close, intimate. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. I don't know about you, but my whole life I've read that verse, and I'm like, who are you talking about, Cain? <laughs> like, who are these other people? Where did they come from? And I'll tell you, I've searched high and low for a good explanation of this, and none of them really satisfy me at the end of the day. Uh, the one that I think makes the most sense is that... Uh, Cain is speaking, thinking about the future. He's thinking about the fact that God called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. And so he's thinking ahead to the day where Adam and Eve have more children and more children and more children, and those children marry and have more children. And I know that's a really weird thought to think about, but we all have to start from somewhere. And then the whole earth is populated. And he says, those people will kill me. Now think of the irony if that's true. The irony is Cain kills a relative and now he's cast out and he's fearful that he will be killed by a relative. So he's fearful that the same thing he did will happen to him. And then from there, we go on to read... what God says in response. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. Again, people speculate about what the mark is. We have no clue. There's no really good uh, answers in my personal opinion. So there's this mark on him, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So hear this, friends. God brings curses. God brings judgment, but he also brings grace. He brings grace to the murderer. That's important. You may be here today and you may have things in your past that haunt you. You may have things and choices and attitudes and actions that you have done this past week that haunt you. And you are sitting in this service and it was everything you could do to come because you knew we would be talking about Jesus stuff and it was going to make you feel bad. (laughs) Friends, there is grace. God does not give us the full extent of what we deserve, but he says, hey, come on back. Let's have a redo. Let's try again. There's curses. There is grace. And from this point in the story, from this tragedy, this murder, there's a fracture. 
And so our last two points I'm going to try to move through quickly. We're going to look at the fracture that then starts to to take shape and form in the rest of this chapter and then in next week's sermon in chapter five. And that's the fracture between the offspring of the snake and the offspring of the woman. Do you remember Genesis 3.15? Look back at that with me. God curses the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, the snake's offspring, and her offspring, Eve's offspring. So let's look at the snake's offspring in verses 17 to 24. First, starting in verse 17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. Okay, you might be glazing over at this moment. Uh, quick aside here, in the West, when you ask people what's your least favorite part of the Bible, we will often say the genealogies. In the East, in the Middle East, for those who come from that worldview and that way of thinking, you ask them, what's your favorite part of the Bible? And they will say, the genealogies. <laughs> so hang with me. It's, it's worth it, I promise. And more so with Jamie next week when he preaches a whole sermon on it. So hang with him as well. Verse 19, and Lamech took two wives. The first time we see someone taking two wives, but not the last time in the Bible. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zalah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So we're getting uh, folks who are herdsmen getting developed at this point. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. So here's the development of the arts coming about. So all you artists, these are your ancestors right here. Uh, Lauren and Patricia, thank you for leading us in such beautiful music. It all started right here. Verse 22, Zalah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron, so the first blacksmith. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Okay, so again, I just want to point out the grace here. Cain deserves death. God not only preserves his life, he protects his life. Cain starts the first city, but not the last city. And what are they doing? Those who are literally the offspring of the snake because of Cain's choices and decision, those people are cultivating. <laughs> they're taking dominion. They're still, even though they're not following God, they're still living out part of what they were created to do that we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. But we see here that's not all that they do. It's not only good. We also see pride and violence and self-protection. Look back at verse 17 with me. And did you catch this? Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When, when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Remember, what was the curse that God put on Cain? You will be a wanderer and a fugitive. And in verse 17, Cain says, nope. <laughs> I'm not doing that because wanderers are like those shepherds. They're like my brother Abel uh, who go out and they wander and there's no protection and they have to depend on God to protect them. I'm not doing that. I'm building a city 
with walls so I can protect myself from all those people who want to kill me. And then we fast forward to verse 23 and we see Lamech said to his wives, interestingly, Lamech in Hebrew is the word king spelled backwards. So it might be possible that the author is trying to tell us like, here's the first king of the first city and he's a backwards king. He's not the kind of leader God wants him to be. And that's what we're going to see here in verse 23. And he says this, Adah and Zalah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Any king who refers to himself in the third person is bad news. Listen to what I say. Can you hear the pride in his voice? I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. Is that just leadership? No. That's not life for a life, eye for an eye. No, that's you wound me, I kill you. You're younger than me, you're weaker than me, I don't care, I kill you. Verse 24, if Cain's revenge, now that's interesting. Uh, God didn't call it revenge, did it? Did he? He said, I'll protect you. But then he says here, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Hear me, wives. <laughs> Can he do that? Like, is that allowed? <laughs> to be like, oh, God put this curse on others. I'm going to call down an even greater curse. Friends, pride presumes grace. Pride says, I can live however I want, and God's going to be okay with it. And again, this is the first city, and we see that it's, a, it's built for self-protection. It's a city of violence. There's oppression in this city. There's pride in this city. And we're going to see that theme played out through Genesis and the rest of the Bible, aren't we? all the way up to Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, all the way up to the ultimate, penultimate, maybe we might say, evil of Pharaoh. First John chapter 3, verses 11 to 12 says, you've heard it said from the beginning, love your brother. Verse 12 says, do not hate your brother like Cain, for that is the way of Cain. So yes, God is bringing grace. There's common grace brought to the snake's offspring with culture being developed, goodness coming out of it, but there's also oppression and evil and hatred and murder. And it's all stemming from this pride. Pride is damning. <laughs> Humanity's not looking too good, is it? <laughs> Let's see what happens next. Fourth and finally, we see the woman's offspring in verses 25 to 26. If it hasn't been interesting, it's about to get interesting. All right, verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed Abel. If you contrast this verse with verse 1, look back at that with me. I want to spend a little bit of time there. Now, Adam, verse 1, knew Eve, his wife, 
and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. Some translations say, I've gotten a man child, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Isn't that great? I've gotten a man child. <laughs> Sorry. So I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Sorry, I'm giggling now. All right, so the the word the help there is actually not in the Hebrew. That's an interpretation of what is in the Hebrew. So the Hebrew literally, Eve is saying, I have acquired a man with the Lord. And commentators have gone all over the place to try to understand what that means because it's not the way you would normally structure a sentence like that. And so they're like, something intentional is happening here. What is it? So some people say, well, she's like digging on Adam. Notice she didn't mention Adam. I've gotten a man with the Lord. Uh, And so they're like, well, she's mad at Adam. And she has a good right to be. I mean, you remember a couple verses earlier where God's like, what did you do, Adam? And Adam's like, the woman you gave me. So he's literally thrown her under the bus. But I don't think that's what's happening here. Uh, I don't necessarily jive with that interpretation. Another interpretation would be to say, I have made a man like the Lord. You can linguistically do that. And so in that sense, she would almost have like a sense of pride of like, look what I have done. And that makes sense. Remember, this is the first time a baby is ever born. And for all of you who have ever experienced or seen that, you know that that is a brutal and beautiful experience. Like it is a miracle. And so... You can just imagine Eve being like, oh, wow, God gives life and life just came from me. Like she could very legitimately be like, I've made a man. (laughs) I just saw it. (laughs) The other option would be not a negative pride, but a positive pride, which is how they translate it here in the ESV, where they're saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Look what God did through me. And there's almost this sense of hope here. If you remember back to Genesis 3.15, the curse on the serpent, we read it a little bit earlier. I'll put enmity between you and the woman's offspring. The last part of that verse, though, is the promise. He, Eve's offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there's almost this sense of like good pride of look what God and I did and almost this hopefulness of like, oh, is this the man? Is this the Savior? Is Cain the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent? And yet we know the story. Cain doesn't crush the head of the serpent. No, his sinful desires crouch like a beast ready to strike, and rather than mastering his desire, he lets it master him and he kills his brother. This is traumatic. For any of you who have lost children, my wife and I have lost children, you know how painful that is. It's not the order of things that parents should outlive their children. It's just not right. And it goes back to what Pastor Jamie talked about last week, that the The curse of pain and child rearing, bearing, uh, is not the word used for giving children that pain. It's the word for the grief of raising children. And Eve has experienced that in this passage. And so look again at verse 25 and notice the difference of how she talks about this. 
And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me. Not I have gotten a man. No, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. Why? Because Cain killed him. Hmm. Friends, suffering is terrible. The pain that we experience in this life, like I just can't comprehend how people do it without faith in Jesus because this life is so hard. And yet what we see here, as much as God is working against evil, as much as God is working to redeem us, as much as all of that is true, we see that pain still exists. But we also see that God is working in that pain. Verse 26 shows us this. To Seth, that offspring, also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord again. God didn't let the way of Cain, the offspring of the snake, have the last word. But God takes the evil that the serpent, that Satan intended, he takes Eve on a journey that suffering can only take us on towards humility, and she raises a son who grows up in humility as well and teaches his children to call upon the name of the Lord again. And if we go back to James chapter 4, we're not going to do it, but if we go back to James chapter 4, we talked about earlier, what causes fights and quarrels among you, you adulterous people, all that. Do you remember how that passage concludes? God opposes the proud. He opposes the Lamechs of the world, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, resist the devil and draw near to God. Friends, are you drawing near to God? Our choices, what we do, is really what communicates if we're following the way of the snake or the way of our Savior. What do your actions say about your allegiance? Now, we hear that and we immediately can just feel the weight of that, and we should. But remember your God, the one who comes to Cain and says, try again. If you do good, won't I lift up your face? And even more than that, when we fail in worship, when we are adulterous people, when we worship those who are not God, and when we deserve death, I want to wrap up with this thought today. The only reason we can ask for forgiveness, the only reason we can receive forgiveness, the only reason we can return, the only reason we can try again, the only reason we can get a fresh start is because of Jesus. Jesus is another favored son. He's another favored brother who, when he did good, his brothers hated him. And they persecuted him too, just like Cain persecuted Abel. And they took Jesus to a cross and they crucified him. And his blood, it dripped from his wounds down his body and fell to the earth. And the author of Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
Abel's blood cried, justice, God, bring my murderers to justice. And the blood of Jesus cries, mercy, bring mercy to those who kill me. They don't know what they do. Forgive them. And Cain's murder led him further away from the presence of God. But friends, miracle of miracles, the murder of Jesus draws us near. We can have life with God because of Christ's cross, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done alone. Amen? That's our hope. That's our foundation. And that's why we can start fresh every day. We sin every day. His mercies are new every day because of the blood of Jesus. Let's live into that reality. On the night of Jesus's, well, let's pray first, actually, and let the band come back up. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your finished work on our behalf. God, like Cain, we do not get what our sins deserve. Like Cain, we may not be murdering people, Lord willing, we're not, but God, we we get angry. And Jesus, you told us that we may not murder, but anger in the heart is like murdering others in our hearts. So God, we are so prone to follow the way of Cain. We are so prone to offer unacceptable worship and then to get mad at you when we do. God, would you help us? Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to lean into our older brother's grace that he gives to us, his forgiveness that he gives to us, and help us, Lord, to become people not of hatred, but people of love. God, we need your spirit to do this, and we ask you to do this. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.